A good compromise is one where everybody makes a contribution. Angela Markell. You're listening to The Real Estate Investor Show, episode number 14. Welcome, ladies, to The Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. Welcome back, ladies. We are super excited to have Cindy Beatty and Angie Smith, two rock star entrepreneurs on today's show. Eight years ago, when they decided to start their own property management company, they launched their company with no buildings, no units, and no clients. Fast forward eight years and lots of hard work, and they've been able to build their business to 25,000 doors in seven states with over 100 employees. Welcome, everyone, back to the Real Estate Investor Show. How's it going, Miss Andressa? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing well, doing well. The weather's pretty dreary up here in New Jersey today, but besides that, I'm doing great. Sunshine inside, you know? <laughs> oh, look at that. Over here is just muggy a little bit, you know, but I, I'm, I'm looking at the flowers and I see them blooming. So I'm hopeful that we'll get things moving forward. I know. So I want to I wanna share something with you, Liz. You know, we've always been working on getting to a point where we say, oh, I have a balanced life, whatever that balance means, right? And uh, in my case, I want to have more time working on my business and not in it and spend more time with my family. So uh, one thing that I want to share with you guys that I've been doing, I've been working very early in the morning. I wake up around 5 a.m. and I get my meditation going on just five minutes though. That's all I can That's handle great. at this point. <laughs> and I get started. I get started with my day, schedule all the calls, all the emails, um, all the text messages. I already send them in advance and I get a lot of things done. And just the feeling of getting those things done, it just like gives me more energy to get the day started. And I carve a couple of hours at the end of the day to spend with, with my son and and enjoy life. So that's something that I want to share with you guys that is, it's been working. It's not easy. It's not something that I say, oh, it's a pleasure to wake up at five in the morning, but it's a commitment that it's aligned with, with my goals. So that's something that I want to share with you guys that it's, it's working. That's wonderful. And it, and it probably then gives you that, you creates that habit, right? So yeah. it sounds like it creates that habit and, and keeps rolling. That's great. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a morning person too. And then by the time the evening comes, I'm like, I start just babbling and making no sense. And, and my husband says, okay, time to go to sleep, Liz. <laughs> so, so welcome back, everybody. We're really excited about having Angie and Cindy on our call here today from Strategic Management Partners, SMP. They're, they're actually one of our partners and uh, they manage one of our apartment buildings uh, in North Carolina and they manage a ton of units. They're going to get into their story. And thank you so much for both being on this, uh, on this uh, call today. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Yeah. So, you know, I think you know, everyone's story is, is fascinating, fascinating to me and, and, and Andressa, we always are, we're so moved by people's stories. Your, your story is really neat because you've built a very large company and a very successful company and not everyone can say that, <laughs> you know, most people can't say that. So I, I'd love to hear from both of you um, a little bit about your backgrounds and how the both of you came together to start this, this property management company. Sure. I'll, I'll start. This is Cindy. And 
Angie and I both had, we won't go back too far, but we both had um, senior level positions with different organizations. Uh, Angie was with her company 17 years and I was with my company for 10 years. And between the two of us, like I said, we were senior vice president roles or titles. And um, we had, between the two of us, we oversaw about 55,000 units in over 15 states, kind of splitting our company up. And um, unfortunately, both of our organizations were crunched in the, our call, we call it the Great Depression of Atlanta in 2000, starting in 2007, eight. Um, they were very heavily invested in new, new development, new construction, live, work, play communities, and the apartment size were both still hanging on strong, but the money was divested into different, um, at the high end of the market, into some other things, and acquisition prices were very high. So unfortunately, both of our companies tumbled down, mm -hmm. and we both stayed with the organizations till the bitter end. And literally, we we're kind of looking at each other. We had joined forces. We were looking at each other and like, okay, we helped all these people get jobs, but what are we going to do now? <laughs> because there, our assets had been, you know, moved and gone a different direction. So we both were fortunate enough to have opportunities with different organizations. Um, however, we kind of most days enjoyed working with each other. So we thought, wow, why don't we, you know, what do you think about starting our own? Well, what do you think? And um, we decided we took a chance in one of the more challenging times in Atlanta specifically, 2010 is when we started the organization and most of the properties, uh, a high percentage, one of the highest foreclosure rates was in the state of Georgia and a lot of the apartment communities had gone back to lenders, special servicers, et cetera. So we decided to start our niche business on that angle. Um, we thought we had to start on something, be a different platform than other organizations. There were a lot of companies that are great at, a class or the very high-end communities or new construction and it was just she and I so we couldn't over <laughs> overtake all that we thought we'd do with the niche if not everybody likes to manage the more distressed or older communities. so we we went out and tried to pitch our efforts that way and again it's just the two of us we had contacts from our old world but those properties you know belong to individual owners or now we're part of banks so we didn't have resources we didn't bring a portfolio or a client with us we literally had zero zero units and um we both went sailing for different people to assist us and give us a shot with one property to start with. And we were fortunate. Um, we had uh, an attorney gave us an opportunity to introduce us to someone that needed two small properties that needed some assistance and management. And Andy had, Angie had a great connection with the largest special servicer, at least in the Southeast. And after bugging and pleading and begging and offering the first children that we never had we um he finally gave us an opportunity and the other group gave us an opportunity literally on the same day so march 1st of 2010 wow. we got three properties and then we looked at each other say okay what are we gonna do now we don't have an accountant we don't have it we don't have technology we didn't have anything so we were able to uh, source out some of that on contract basis so it helped us with overhead <clears throat> we didn't have to pay we paid by the unit instead of bulk you know high dollars for controllers or IT assistance, et cetera. And um, so that's where it started, literally March 1st of 2010. And I guess we can kind of fast forward, Angie, if you want to take over from here, that was kind of the, the humble beginnings of how we went from that to where we are now. Sure, absolutely. So as Cindy said, we literally started out with zero units. Most people that start a management company, they have a pipeline, they have one client, they have something to get them started. And SMP did not have that. 
So literally Cindy and I were dialing for dollars. And even as of July, 2010, I looked at her one day and said, are we going to be on the welfare? Line? <laughs> what are we doing? But um, a lot of diligence, hard work and SMP never in our eight years now, we have never advertised one time. Every bit of our business from the time we started was repeat business from our clients, client referrals, or broker referrals, or just like Matt, um, Elizabeth, your husband, he was a referral from another one of our clients. So that is how Cindy and I have grown the business. And today we have over 25,000 users. In, in seven states. In, in, seven, in seven states, yes. Wow. So in eight years, you went from zero to 25,000 units. That's correct. Yes. In the last three years, we've been named the largest management company in Atlanta. I see it. Did you have that vision when you started? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Our goal initially was to have 12 to 15,000 units was our max. Well, our first and goal was to pay our mortgages these... was our first goal. <laughs> <laughs> but then <second> exactly. Goal. <laughs> <laughs> was the 12 to 15. Yeah, we had to get our mortgages covered. Then the 12 to 15. And then we looked at each other and said, okay, we'll go to 18. Well, it looks like we're pushing 20. Well, it looks like we're pushing 22, then 25. But we do it for our clients. And life is too short we have actually given notice on a couple of our assets because the clients were not a pleasure to work with and life is too short and we do not ever want our employees treated unfairly or disrespected in any manner and when that happens or they don't fund the property and there's payable issues and it's brain damage for us as a company and it's our reputation we've made the decision to give notice or a breach so, of integrity, which we're very strong on the ethical and integrity also. Mm, I, can, can we just go a little deeper on that? Because integrity is one of my favorite words. Liz know that, right, Liz? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're talking about integrity, Cindy, what, tell me a little bit more about what do you mean by that? Well, I think that it's something, you know, Angie and I have do feel passionate about and we do kind of want it to be one of the cornerstones of our organization that we have high integrity with our employees and with our our clients and our our vendors any of our partners um it it, it can be good or bad news unfortunately but i think the integrity piece just keeps everyone honest keeps you you know i learned a quote 100 years ago about you know, if you're okay with whatever your, your actions are going to be, going to be on the front page of the newspaper for your mom or your grandmother to see, then go forth and do it. But if you're not, you don't want to see that, then don't, don't do it. So try to live with that saying, trust me, neither one of us are perfect, but we try to live with that um, philosophy. So in the case, and over the years, we've had some clients that have um, wanted to manipulate numbers for whether it's a refinance or a sale or disposition, and we absolutely refuse to do that. Um, or we have some that we know that might do that on the disposition side or would do that. And so those are some of the, the two specific items that we had to terminate our relationship because we just, again, back to the life's too short, don't want ethical practices. That information gets out. It, it, it can end many careers. Um, and it's not what we want to be known as. We want to be known as that we're ethical. We treat people with respect, 
Um, and, but we're giving honest information, whether it's on the financials or it's the good, bad news about the property performance. Mm -hmm. That's what we feel very strongly about. And if we've terminated two fairly decent portfolios. One had seven properties and Angie, you know, the other one I'm talking about, was it seven properties also? Or no, no, that was four properties. Yes. Was it four was or seven? Four, I can't right. remember. Four. Four, yeah. Fab four as we refer four, to. Four. Yeah, I was going to say, it's pretty remarkable being able to, being able to fire, not fire, but let go of contracts and let go of money, right? Let, let go of revenue. Considerable. Yeah, considerable, considerable I'm money. sure. And, and that's pretty remarkable to be able to do that and to stand behind that and to put your values ahead of that. That's, that's pretty remarkable. And that's not something that everyone does. And people could do that on a small scale or a large scale like you're doing, you know, so that's, that's pretty, pretty neat. The, um, the part, you know, as Justin and I prepared for today, you know, I, so you went building teams, right? That's, that's a topic that whether you have a duplex, whether you have a small apartment building or whether you're going to grow to large multifamily, it all comes back to teams. It all comes back to, you know, relationships. And I'm curious. So, so circle back with me when you guys started, the, the two of you started, you had some properties. How, who was your next hire? What was your next hire? Who was the third person who worked for sure. SMB? That, I'll answer that. That's a great question. And, and we're very proud of it still today. When we took our first property, um, one of the reasons that we, we took it is that, um, again, it was a special servicer and it was a distressed property and it was a ridiculous low management fee, but we needed to keep kind of keep, obviously, starting somewhere. So our first, the property had a team and we felt good about the team. They were doing a, a job, a good job for what they could control. It was a distressed property, you know, cash flow issue, et cetera. But we really wanted to keep the, the manager in place. But we had a person that uh, I'd worked with for 10 years and Angie worked with or knew for almost three years. And this person really wanted to come work. He believed in Angie and I, and he wanted, he had a good career and he was making good money. And he literally took a, I think about a $23,000 pay cut to come be a manager. And he was a multi-site manager with us in the past, multi-site with the new company he was at, um, and took a pay cut to come be our first property manager. And we moved the present manager to be the assistant. We kind of sold the story and how we were growing and want to grow and um, that we, she would be in that position again, but wanted to learn kind of our style through him. So they literally have the same start date um, of those two employees, the first it was really assistant manager and manager, but those are our first two hires. And so that person that we'd worked with for so long started with us as a property manager, moved through the steps, and now he's our regional vice president of our organization and has, you know, close to half the company, wow. <laughs> or will soon have half the company is, is he, has, he has dealings with. And the other person is literally probably next week going to be promoted to regional manager. She's an area manager now, smaller portfolio, but we're expanding her portfolio and it'll be our region man manager. So those are our two first hires that we're extremely proud of. And it's a great story to tell new hires. So what, awesome. did you, what did you see in them that, you know, because hiring people and working with people is probably one of the hardest parts of this business. So what did you see in them that made them stay with you? Not only stay with you, but grow in the company. And, and get promoted in the company. Again, that's really um, amazing. I think, Elizabeth, that Cindy and I 
are a very unique management company. We are not the typical cookie cutter management company where you go to an office five days a week. S&P does not have offices. We let our associates, our, our executive team, which is now went from one person, or if you can include Cindy and I, and then our, the gentleman that Cindy's referencing, we now have 27 executive members. No one has voluntarily left SMP. I think it's because of our culture and the freedom we give them. We don't monitor their our corporate level employees' vacation hours. We don't monitor their whereabouts. They're very independent and they work on their own. And Cindy and I basically are their guidance and support. We're there for them. And that's what we look to hire when we do have to bring in new people because of our growth. We look for people that are independent, that think independently, that are very responsible, respectful, that live and breathe the integrity and beliefs that Cindy and I have in our culture. And for that, we have minimal, minimal turnover in the company and in the organization. And I'll just give you one example of something different we do. We have, we're very philanthropic, Cindy and I, and in our as are many of our executive team and our on-site employees, we have a give back day that we have every year that we let our associates, if they want to go build a house for Habitat for Humanity, if they want to go do pet rescue, which Cindy and I strongly believe in, they have a give back day that we give to them to support the community because we believe so strongly in it. So I think it's just the culture that Cindy and I have built and we look for people that believe in our culture and support that. And that's why I think we're so successful. Mm. Well, and, and to your, your point, you asked Liz about the first couple of hires. Luckily, we had the, you know, a lot of years of experience with the first hire, the gentleman we're talking about. But even the person we just met on the first time when we come in a very stressful situation, taking over her property, that she had been there for many years and was the community manager. I think Angie and I both saw something in her that, she accepted it, disappointed, of course, but she accepted it. She believed in the story we were <laughs> telling her. We didn't even know it was going to happen, but we, we, we felt the passion, and we tried to share that passion with her. And her acceptance of that or willingness to you know, believe in that, the organization she had in her office, the, uh, the contact she had with the residents that would come into the property that knew her. She wasn't in a back office. They didn't know who that person was, that she had knowledge of them. She knew their name. She knew kind of their story. I think that's what easily sold us on, you know, wanting to retain her for sure. And obviously it paid off and she's another great success story with the company. Yeah. You know, what, what you're saying about a culture, I think is, is so important and so helpful because so many people, and most people, you know, in talking to investors, talking to small, to small investors or, or large investors, they, they often think that's just for large corporate companies, the, the whole culture conversation. But really, it starts with yourself. And, you know, it's, a sm it could, it's relatable to a small company. It's relatable to a small team. It's rela relatable to a large team. It's all about what expectations you have. And it sounds like you were really clear on them. You knew what you wanted. And, and you, and you, and people align with that, they, they, they've been with you. And if they, if they haven't, it sounds like not many people haven't aligned with that, which is, which is great. But if they haven't, it sounds like, you know, they, they've moved on. And I think that's so important, you know, whether you have a small company or a large company, it's pretty critical. 
just to- topping on that, um, I think you attract also them. Once you have that culture, you're going to keep attracting people that have that core value that will contribute. And the opposite will also happen. The people that don't have the same mindset and core value will not fit or will not, you know, become part of it and have the same mentality. Um, I want to talk about like being women in this industry, which is as of now dominated by, by male. What are the challenges that you both faced as, as women in this business? Funny ones, horrible ones, anyone? (laughs) Actually, men and the two companies that I've worked for, but I've only worked for two management companies. And then Cindy and I started this industry. Both were, were owned and run by males. And it is just a natural thing in life. I think that generally females deal with residents homes better. It's not the natural male thing. So they always hired women as their executives. So like Cindy, her company was owned by a male. Mine was owned by a male, but it was women that ran the business basically. So they were the owners. We ran the business. And so to, in our choice, literally when Cindy and I decided to start SMP, we both knew we would have to go work for a man again. There was no women owned management companies in Atlanta at the time. And Cindy and I kind of made a name. There was one other after Cindy and I started SMP at about the same time, there was another uh, management company with two ladies that had started. They have both since retired and that company has gone down. And sometimes it was funny. We were kind of competitors, but it was always friendly competitiveness. But um, Cindy and I kept the company going and are where we are today. But that is the biggest difference in the property management side now with investors you guys are probably leading the way because that is still probably 90 percent male dominated and it, it truthfully is in the property management world as well cindy and i are unique in in this industry being the two women owners so but it, 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 with the men it was never really a bad thing or a negative it just proved that women can do this and Cindy and I have proven it. So it's, it's high five to my business partner because we've made this work. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, when it comes to property management, so, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the women listening either, you know, own rental port, rental portfolio or they're, they're aspiring real estate investors, what have you. But, you know, when it comes down to property management, the amount of doors you, you, you manage, you've seen, you know, repeatable, consistent processes that have worked and things that don't work. So what, what would you say have you seen to be like the biggest, I guess we'll, we'll talk about the biggest mistakes, but first, because that's always intriguing to people, but what are, the, what are the biggest mistakes that people make when they, they buy a property, they buy a multifamily, and then they take ownership of it, and then obviously they hire a third-party management? What, what would you say are the biggest mistakes that you know, investors make when they take ownership of that property and, and begin to, you know, make it work? I'll, I'll start at least. Um, I think the biggest opportunity for a new buyer is not hiring us to manage for them would be one mistake. 
Um, I'm kidding. No, I, I, to be honest with you, in, in the acquisition side, the mistakes that I've seen the greatest have always been about the location. When someone buys in a location that is a possible distressed area, a high crime area, and they think they're going to have the jewel of that, it, that has failed on, I, I can't name the times that has failed because the location, just like in single family, is makes all the difference in the world. It's location, location, location. And it's the same thing, whether it's A, B, or C class in the multifamily. Um, so I think that's one big mistake is thinking you can change the area. Uh, the other uh, the other mistake I've seen is certainly buying too high, especially in, in certain cities and certain markets. There's such a frenzy. And the brokers who we love and are very respectful of everything they've done for us referrals are, are selling the dream of the continued you know, rental increases that they're going to receive. And um, you, you can see in the cap rates, they keep going lower and lower on mm. when people are trying to buy. So I think that, you know, that's going to come back to haunt some people because these prices, you know, it's, it's very scary on our side is seeing the prices that they're paying for it um, and the rental increases that they need to sustain that being a, a positive investment. So location and buying too high are the two concerns I think two biggest concerns. The third one was the lack of uh, due diligence is not finding out, especially on the physical plant side of what you're walking into. Are you, you know, the, based on the age of the community, do you have asbestos? Do you have um, uh, mechanical engineering issues that as soon as a, the property sells and code enforcement is out there checking when they see a new owner coming in and checking those and there's no idea of where those dollars could um, add up to if there wasn't a, very thorough due diligence on the physical plan of the property. Hmm. Those are my three big ones. That's great. Angie, any one that you have in mind that you have seen? Same thing as Cindy. I would have answered the same way. Those are the three biggest. But here's one more thing, and I will add this, Cindy, and I think you'll agree. A lot of times um, people try to self-manage. And let's say it's a California purchaser and they want to try to manage from California to Georgia, it's very hard to be successful that far away and not having your pulse on that market, not knowing that market, not knowing vendors in an area. We have seen time after time failures in that regard due to trying to self-manage. So hiring a professional management company, if you're not in a specific market or you don't have the knowledge, it, it's better to hire a third-party management company that has the buying power of a market due to their volume or that has the executive level presence that's going to oversee their asset. So that is a big mistake that Cindy and I have seen owners make as well. Got it. And when hiring a property management company for those folks out there that have small multifamilies what are the top five things that they should be looking for before they sign a contract with those property management companies angie you got this one? i'll go ahead and, yeah, <laughs> yeah i'll go ahead and take that one they need to look and see if they have the support in place, meaning do they have a strong accounting team? That That's critical that you get good financials, that you have a strong software program. There are still management companies out there today, for example, smaller management companies that use QuickBooks. That is not realistic in this day and age. You need a, a professional, um, intricate software system. That's another one. Do they have the personnel 
to support the asset? Do they have the right people in place to support it? Or are they just going to handle it? You don't know how they're going to handle it. So the personnel is a key issue. Um, do they have the knowledge of the market? So a lot of times a management company is hired and they don't have knowledge of the market. So they need to interview and make sure that the management company understands the market. And do they have, I, I guess I would say, the like SMP has strong buying power, whether it be a North Carolina asset or a Georgia-based asset where our corporate office is, we have the buying power because we are in seven states. So those are some, probably my top five. Um, Cindy, what about you? No, I'd, I'd have to say the same. I think that um, the, the reputation or the experience level, again, certainly, in, especially in smaller companies, they may not have 5,000, 10,000. We sure didn't either. And I think some people gave us a chance because even though we had zero units at the time, Angie or I did have the experience um, to know how to run a property successfully through good times and bad times. So we had the, the depth of experience, even though we didn't have one property, five properties, 150 properties at the time, the people that were in charge had the depth of experience. So the confidence was that we knew how to run a property. And I think that that's the same thing someone's got to investigate that even if they're a new company, sometimes that's a great time because we were so hungry. We were going to make it successful. <laughs> the first, you know, properties we were, you know, we always worked ridiculously hard, but I mean, we were very competitive nature that we were going to spank these properties because it was, it was so, you know, our name was on the line. So I think that part's important to vet whoever's the, you know, managing principals and their depth of experience, if nothing else. When you, when you talk about the property managers, so how, how many of those folks do you have in your company that actually manage your, your, your various assets? Like how many actual property managers, if you, if you will, in terms of the, you have? Um, I don't know exact number, 100 and right now we have 153 properties. Some of them have, you know, one manager over two properties, but probably 130, I okay. guess, different property managers. So if you, had a, if you had to name the most important qualities that you look for, or when you think even your top performers, I mean, this comes, brings me back to my consulting days when I used to help companies with this kind of stuff. But when you look at your top performers in this, in this, this group of 130, and maybe they all are there, what qualities that you look for in, in a successful property manager? Because as women build their own portfolios and whether they self-manage, they hire that third-party management company, they're going to look for those similar qualities, right? That, that's going to be probably a consistent piece. So I'm curious, what, what do both of you look for as you build your own team and what, what are those characteristics of, the, of your best, best, best in that group of 130? I'll, I'll start at least. I think that um, in our business, that it's such a people business. It is you're either dealing with employees or you're dealing with residents or you're dealing with vendors or you're dealing with clients and third-party management. So it is all about working with people. So it does have to have someone that has a positive personality, a positive disposition, uh, professional presence are some of the key things that are give a sign or an indication that they would be fit or appropriate for these type of jobs because it's all about the people. Um, it does have to be someone, we do look for some shine, signs of 
respect. Um, and it's a, a stupid kind of trick play, but if we take a person, a manager candidate out to lunch, for example, are they uh, respectful and thankful to the service staff? <laughs> and because there's been times when it hasn't, and it turned me off. I'm just speaking for myself. It turned me off immediately. If they, <laughs> they're not grateful or thankful to the service staff, how are they going to treat our employees or our residents um, or our clients? So it's signs like that. I think um, um, the disposition of respectful to all people, uh, the professional presence, the positive disposition and personality are some of the key. You can train them on other things, but those customer service skills and those people skills, they have to have a lot of that before they, they come into this type of business. Um, they also have to have a strong work ethic. Uh, if they're starting to ask on the interview about, okay, what are the hours of the property and how much vacation time do I get? And that's all important. We all want to work balance, understand it completely. But if some of those are the first questions or what their salaries are some of the first questions, it's a little bit of a deterrent because they are seem to be looking for a job instead of a, a career or a home. So those are a, a few keys that I think I, I know I look for and I think that Angie does the same thing but I know she'll have more to add to it but some of those are the, the key points for me it is in the in Cindy said it right and that's exactly how I would have answered it is all about their personality how we believe that they will get along with the public and with their peers and is being a true leader so there's more than being a nice person and dealing with the residents they need to be a leader of their team. And that's what we look for as leaders. And you get that through the strong work, that work ethic, that their personalities, how they deal with us when we're interviewing them. But we also look for, that's number one. But are they strong at marketing? Are they strong at financials? Are they strong at all that? We need some other characteristics or some other strengths that go along with their personality and work ethic. Like Cindy said, there's a lot of things we can train, but we can't train at all. So we need somebody that shows the initiative or has the financial knowledge. And we've actually hired people that we need more for the financial aspect of a property and less in marketing because they had the support staff to do it. But when you're on one and two person sites in the office, it is critical that they have some of these additional skills. So uh, it's absolutely necessary for the property to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's a great, and that's a great, well, I love your tip, uh, both your tips, Cindy, back to seeing them in a non-business environment and seeing how they act towards other people. What a, what a great, what a great, you know, idea. And, and really you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, and I always heard people, people teach you how, you know, how they are listen to them. You know, people will teach you, people will show you, listen to them versus, oh, well, that was just because we were in a restaurant and that because the, mm -hmm. the waitress forgot mm -hmm. my food. Well, you know, it sounds a really good point. Um, you know, with what you were saying, Angie, too, I think that's really applicable for, for, for all the listeners, you know, for all the women listening is to assess what do I really need? Because you're absolutely right. Some properties that you're taking over might have a, it's, it's a financial dismal situation or it's in, a, it's in a tough neighborhood that you need somebody a little stronger or it's in an environment that is, uh, you know, what, whatever it might need. The residents are a little, little more direct or what have you. But I think to your point, you know, this could be a large multifamily, it could be a small multifamily, but assessing what do you need? 
before you hire, a, a, you know, a, 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 whether it's somebody that works for you in terms of property management or a third party company. But what do I need and what's going to be most important in this situation? Because that's, that answer is not the same. I'm sure you, I'm sure you both would agree with that. So it's a great point. I agree. But, absolutely. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And it could be applicable to whether someone has a small portfolio or a large, large portfolio. That's awesome. I want to, I want to talk to you guys about those, those ladies out there that already hire a property management company. They've been working with them, but they got their, you know, their mind spinning right now after listening to you guys. So they're probably asking themselves, uh, not sure if the company that I'm working with right now is giving me what I need because I don't even know exactly what I need. I don't know what I don't know. So if they were to do like a checklist of the must-have information right now, what would you say that that's important for them to be uh, receiving it from the property management company? It's critical. Is their property performing? That's number one. If their property is not performing to the pro forma that they that the owner buyer prepared when they purchased the asset, Houston, we've got a problem. So that's number one. If they're not getting their financials timely and they feel like there may be data missing, like uh, SMP's owners reports are voluminous, but we give our client. Everything from the bank statement to the bank reconciliation, our clients see every deposit that's made. They receive a rent roll. They know every resident that's living there, what their rent is. Are they receiving the information from the management company so that the owner does understand where their finances are with the asset? Does the management company have the proper support? For example, is a renovation in progress? Does the management company have a construction team that can assist them? And that is not necessary in all cases because some owners have their own construction team and does their own work. However, when they don't, does their management company provide that? There are so many things. Again, it's a lot of times very specific to an asset on what the needs are. But the biggest thing is the property performing. If not, why? Is it the on-site staff is not capable and they need to hire new staff? Is it the regional leader is not supporting the team? There could be so many things that could be an issue. Then it may be time to speak to another management company. And if I can just add one thing, and Angie's spot on with all, everything she shared, but there, is, there are times, and we've had many of them, when a client came to us to find out about our services and gotten a referral or something from us and they are not satisfied with their present management company. And when we start digging in and looking at where their, whether it's financials or what they had as a budget or performa, there's also some unrealistic expectations by some buyers, especially in this market that it may not be a management issue, even though the property is not performing to the performa or the underwriting, it, it, necessarily isn't a management issue and sometimes we've had to be candid in saying you know they want they thought the payroll cost costs were too high and they want to run a, you know two i literally had this uh, someone wanted to run a 225 unit property that was at 78 percent with one person there's just some numbers that could be unrealistic that they want to achieve those but but we've had to tell many and we've you know 
told the story a thousand times that we've talked ourselves out of more business than we could ever have because we try to be, and not always perfect, we try to be very realistic with the expectations of what we can achieve based on the history, based on previous, you know, two-year run history of performance or T12 at least to know what we could do or where we could improve. And sometimes we have to say we, we would not be able to achieve you know, one person running a 225 unit property, we wouldn't work that, we wouldn't have someone work in that type of environment. That's a great point. And to be, to know what those expectations are and then to be able to be, you know, clear with them and then also then to not make them so unrealistic. So that's a, that's a great point too. In terms of, uh, there's so many questions, we, we probably have to have you both on again here. But, you know, what one- And you'll do it. The, uh, you know- <laughs> One thing I, you know, I wonder a lot about, and, I, and Andres and I have seen this in our businesses, partnerships do arise a lot, whether it's, you know, someone, someone has the, the money and someone else has the time and then they go in together and buy an apartment building or a multifamily. But partnerships are very common in this business. You can't kind of know everything and do everything yourself, especially when it comes to the, to the you know, kind of owner side of this business. I'm curious, you know, the two of you not only came together, built a successful company, but you've remained partners and 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 how did you do it? What what are some of those secret kind of secret success uh, tips you might have for for the women listening? Like, what has helped you both so much to remain and grow as partners? I'll start, Cindy. There you go. I'll start, and then Cindy can add on to it. Um, it was very tough, honestly, when we first started. We because we had to figure out our place in the company, where we fit best, and. Don't get me wrong. There was days where it was a knockdown drag out and every <laughs> once in a while we still have them. But Cindy and I say this all the time. We have such a phenomenal relationship. I would, ne I would never work with somebody else. So if Cindy decided to retire, I would have to retire. And granted, we're way too young to be doing that. <laughs> but we have such a phenomenal bond and have built such a strong company that I absolutely would not work with someone else besides Cindy. But part of it too is, and it's kind of how we've structured our company, there's things that I like to do that Cindy doesn't like to do or she may not have been as knowledgeable about, and I'll say our company insurance, for example. So that's just one of the things I handle every year. Cindy is phenomenal at handling HR issues, and I'll, be, and I'll go to her and I'll say, Cindy, I have the situation please just handle it and, or help me with it or whatever. There's still things that we do today that we kind of, she kind of handles that or I'll kind of handle that. And that's how we really work it. And then we almost split the company. Like there's a half of the regional team works with me and half of the regional team works with her. It's just kind of morphed over the eight years that it's worked out that way because it's not logical for one person to get direction from two people. So we just kind of split the company and like I run Texas, for example, Cindy's not out there and she has Birmingham, Alabama and I don't, and she might have a market in Florida and I'll have another market in Florida. So that's just kind of how we split the company, but it's worked out well for both of us. And again, it's not always peaches and cream and, and Cindy and I do have disagreements, but we work through it. We have, we have a lot of happy hour phone calls. So we do our after five phone calls, no joke. And we may stay on the phone having a glass of wine till 10 o'clock at night, working through stuff together as partners. And again, we don't always agree, 
but we've just learned over these eight years, I think, what I believe super strongly about Cindy will just say, okay, Angie, I give in, or Cindy's passionate about this. I'll say, okay, Cindy, whatever. I don't, you know, life's too short. I'm not going to, you know, argue with you about it. And it's worked out really well for us. Anything to add, Cindy? <laughs> well, I have a lot to add. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> should, we, should, we, should we hang up on, uh, on Angie so we can? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, really, I think we need to end this interview now. <laughs> <laughs> no, Angie is saying it correctly. We definitely have, you know, we have our days. And over the eight years, we've had, you know, fights like sisters would have on disagreements or, uh, you know, differing opinions. But we, you know, together... We are proud of our organization. We wanted to build an organization where people were proud to work at. And we tried to align our thought process and our decisions around that, that we wanted to have a company that would be respected so that our employees could be proud to say they were employees and that our clients could be proud to say that they, they are partners with us. Um, same with our vendors. We want to, that's what we wanted to build. So all of our decisions, even though we may have differing ways to get there are still that same end goal is just let's make a proud company. Let's give a lot of people great opportunities and jobs and that they're proud to work for. And that our partners are proud that we're in, in business with them. That's great. That's great. I know that the, the idea of you know, people, and I think of what you were just describing too, it's like, you think about, you know, I think about my marriage, you know, and, you know, we have disagreements all the time, but, you know, you have those partners, you have that partnership, you have that, okay, let's agree to disagree, let's move on. There's a, there's a greater cause at he- here, and we both trust each other. So that's um, great, great. Absolutely. Support. So before we yeah, get I think to- I just yeah. add on that, that that's yeah. one thing that is no gray area with Angie and I, we completely trust each other. And even when it gets to be big decisions about, you know, if it's having to terminate a client and it may be one that she works more closely with, she may want to go down the list of all the reasons if I haven't had a lot of experience where I'm like, dude, I trust you. I mean, you're going to make the best decision that you need to that may affect your your clients more that you've had more experience on. But I trust you. If it's something we've got to do, we've got to do. And whether it's financial negative impact, who cares about? I mean, we all care about it. But my point is that we do trust each other personally, professionally. You know, we've got a a good, strong relationship. And we've been through, like you mentioned, Liz, on your you and your husband, is you've got issues. We've got issues. We both have personal, you know, we've both gone through personal tragedies since we started the organization. But we've supported each other personally and professionally, and and there's no doubt about our, our trust. Yeah. Without a doubt. Well, and and so many people in this business, they'll say, oh, this person's got a, they have the property and, you know, we're going to just jump in and, and, you know, make it happen together. And it's like, they don't even trust each other yet. And you're going to put money down and buy something together. It's, it's so, you got to start small, you know, and and even on Justin and I, you know, we, we, uh, we were friends first and we trusted each other and we would go to each other with issues in our own separate businesses before we, we actually went in terms of joint venture into to some projects together. So as they say, you know, was that, you know, hire slowly, fire quickly, like uh, the, yeah, the opposite for partners, whatever that <laughs> phrase is. I'm not right. the best with phrases, but you know what I mean. Sure. So, you know, before we, uh, before we get to our little fabulous three where we, we ask some some key questions to all of our, our lovely guests. Where can our uh, listeners learn more about you? Sure. We do have a, a website. It's at www.smpmgt. So our company kind of initials um, and then ma- MGT like management. So smpmgt.com. It does tell a little bit about us and our organization, um, some of our services and has 
you know, an email that can be sent for any other inquiries. Great. Awesome. And so now I'm going to go to the, what we call the fabulous three questions that we ask all our listeners mm -hmm. and feel sure. free to answer on or opt out to <laughs> answer them. Feel free. Okay. The first one is, uh, what's the most transformational book oh, okay. you have ever read? I, I can answer that one, at least for, for myself. And I read the book or was given the book in a training class probably when I was three years out of college, so just a couple of years, years ago. But uh, <laughs> um, so it was The One Minute Manager by Ken Blanchard. And now there's a hundred more that came out from that, but it was the first one minute manager that Ken Blanchard did and was given that book in a training. It's a, luckily an easy read because I have attention deficit, I'm sure that um, <laughs> I, I'm not the biggest reader, but that book, it, it still impacts me today. And I remember the three key things is the one minute goal setting, one minute praise, and one minute reprimand. And it stuck with me as I was very early in my, you know, going through management opportunities, a management career, but it stuck with me still to this day, I will buy that manager for the entry level supervisors, meaning if they're coming off site their first time, you know, from going from a property manager to our next step as an area manager, give them that book and they got to read it and then they have to send me the bullets on it. Not a big report, but the bullets on it because it, it transformed me and um, it's the way I thought about taking care of people and setting expectations for your employees, giving them the resources or training of how to accomplish those, the goals and expectations you set for, and then hold them accountable and still try to live to that today. Yeah, that's, that's great. So I, I always feel that once you share a book and you share the knowledge, you can talk that language. So they will understand what you're talking about sure. and the standards are higher. The second question will be, what's the most powerful daily routine that helps you, helps you with your balanced life? Wine, wine is mine. <laughs> a good Red glass, of, a good glass of wine at our six o'clock little chat is, uh, is probably <laughs> mine. But Angie can put a more serious answer on it than me. <laughs> oh, I, if vodka is more serious than wine, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and having my happy hours with my CB business partner, Cindy Beatty. Right. I, and I have a new puppy Rottweiler and I have a new little fuzzy kitten and spending time with my creatures. There is no other peaceful thing in the world and doing rescue and both of these are rescue. That's all I've ever had is rescue animals and the joy you get out of Volunteer, volunteering for rescue, being with your creatures, it just is such a peaceful thing. And that's what people say, have animals, it calms you, it helps you. Mm. And it's funny, a lot of people won't let their dogs sleep on the bed. I don't care if I get dog care on my bed, my dog's sleeping with me. So, and then it kind of moves now, I'm in the process of building a home. So that's adding a different stress level besides the company. So who I'm trying to rebalance my life and figure out how I'm going to deal with all that, but I've got help. So it should be fine. There you go. And the last question is which women it can be famous or not alive or not. So which women has inspired you the most? I'll answer. My mother was probably the biggest inspiration that I had, um, you know, growing up and helped mold me to hopefully who I am um, as a person would be my mom. I've, I've been fortunate to have some positive female mentors and managers in my life. Um, and even one of my first jobs, it's so silly, but one of my first jobs at 
Taco Bell. And one of my first job, my second job was at Marine Life. Um, and both of those were female supervisors. And it was certainly a very small scale. And but they they taught me a lot of how to treat people, how to treat employees, um, and how I wanted to continue in, in supervision and management and people management were probably my first two supervisors who were both female, along with my mom that helped build me as a, a person. And that's funny, Cindy, when you offered to go first, that was my, that's exactly what I was going to say, my mother. She always believed in me, supported me, was my head cheerleader, her and my father both, but my mom and I were super close, traveled the world together. Um, she was a great motivation for me and um, I miss her dearly. I lost her a few years ago and I miss her dearly. And I guess somebody else would be, I've also lost her as well. And, and Cindy knew her. She um, got me into this industry and kind of raised me in it. Phenomenal woman. And, and when you talk about being well-rounded, I mean, she was a phenomenal trainer. She was phenomenal with financials. She was a phenomenal motivator and just an overall great lady. And she died quite unexpectedly. And Cindy and I had just been with her up in Blue Ridge, Georgia for a retreat for our regional managers. And she was with us the week before she suddenly passed. Mm -hmm. So very emotional about that. And, and she died, unfortunately, two months before my mother. So it was a pretty tragic few months. And thank goodness I had Cindy to go through it with me when we talked about our personal tragedies. Those were two of them that Cindy has helped me through. So those two are, are my greatest inspirations. Besides my business partner, Cindy, she's all right herself. I was just about to add that too. I've got one more and it's Angie Smith. It's my other one. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, thank you both so much for, for coming on the, you know, our show and sharing all your insight and, and wisdom with, with us as well as the, the community of women listening to this. So we just thank you so much for your time and, and all the wonderful things that you shared with us today. It was fun. Thank you. It was our pleasure. Thank you. Thank, thank you, guys. I had a lot of fun with you guys. You <laughs> Thanks. Take care. Take care now. Thank you. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.